your way in the powerful Isuzu D-Max. Visit your local Isuzu Ute dealer today. Mornings with Mark Duffield. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium. Don't forget to shop winter at TKD. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. We've got a big show for you today. We are, of course, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Utes. You can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. We're going to talk to Peter Bell, the General Manager of Football Operations at Fremantle. We're going to ask him about Fremantle's stuttering season. What has gone wrong for the Dockers? Is it the departure of the four players, Rory Lobb, Darren, uh, David Mundy, Griffin Logue and Blake Akers? Or are there other factors? Have they gotten too young? Have they gotten too soft? Have they not embraced fast footy? What do you think? You can have your say on the temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736. You can give us a call on the open line. That is 13 12 55. Or you can uh, just listen in and we'll put some questions to Peter, find out what has gone wrong with the Dockers. And I've got, for Eagles fans, a few questions for you. I'm going to put four names to you, Eagles fans, and thanks to Isuzu Utes, and you can live your own way in the Isuzu MUX seven-seater. Here are four questions on four of your greatest players to four-wheel drive you to work today. Do these players go or do they stay? Player one is Shannon Hearn. He's 35. He's played 331 games. He is out of contract. Coach Adam Simpson has declared him near the end and very old in recent press conferences. My take, I think the Eagles face a series of really tough calls at the end of this season. I think they will exempt their first and second year players from scrutiny and give them more time. Every player older than that is going under the microscope with a handful of obvious exceptions like Oscar Allen. When you're going that hard, and it's likely that eight to ten players are going to pay with their spot on the list, you have to get the easy call right, and Hearn is the easy call. He's the oldest player on the list by a couple of years. He's played 11 of 18 games this season. He's been injured a couple of times and had to be rested a couple of times. Get the easy call right. Player two, Luke Shuey, 33, 247 games out of contract. Before the weekend, there were murmurings he'd be given a fresh one-year deal on low money. Now he is injured again. Shuey's soft tissue issues started in 2020. That is four seasons ago now. Since then, he has managed 46 of 80 games and he missed 15 of 22 games in 2021. He's missed nine of West Coast 18 games this season and he's been subbed out of three other games. My verdict, I know there are two schools of thought on Shuey and the school of thought that the club's younger players will benefit from having his leadership around is real and that he could be an on-field coach in the games that he does play. But what do you tell the youngster that gets yo-yoed in and out of the team whenever Luke is fit enough to play? And are you going to continue to claim bad luck with injury if you re-sign a bloke who was a pretty good chance to spend a fair portion of the year injured? It's a tough call, but the right call is for Shuey to go now. Player three, Nick Natanui. He's 33, 213 games. He has a 2024 contract. Nick hasn't played this year, but the Eagles believe he can play next year 
if he does the work. It will be left up to him. Now, I get that when the Eagles signed Nick Natanui in 2022 for 2023 and 2024, they were not to know that he would miss all of this season with a ruptured Achilles tendon. The view the Eagles have taken internally on Natanui is that while he has a chance to return to play, they will give him the chance. That he is too valuable to lose. And while there is hope, they will give him that chance. Nat Nui has told Channel 7 last week that he's going to give the rehab his best shot and that if he thinks he can return to somewhere near his best, then he's going to proceed with the rehab. But it sounds like a long shot, doesn't it? Nick played eight games last year. A lot of them hurt. He hasn't played at all this year. A ruckman who has played eight games in two seasons, who turns 34 next year with two bad knees and a rebuilt Achilles tendon. Is it a good bet or not? I would argue it's not a good bet. Andrew Gaff. He's 31. He's played 270 games. He's contracted until the end of 2024. He's rallied in the last two weeks after being dropped to the sub role against Richmond. I'll give Gaff his due on that. I thought he was done. I think most of us thought he was done a couple of weeks ago. He's fought really hard to reclaim a spot in the best 22 and play two of his best games for the season against Richmond and Carlton. He was certainly one of West Coast's better players against Carlton on the weekend. But when you boil it down, Andrew Gaff is still not having big impact on games. Is he doing enough to keep a spot on the list, to keep a younger player out of the team? And if he's marginal, is it worth having the debate over a year's worth of contract to get him out? Does he stay or does he go? What do you think, people? You can have your say on the temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736. You can give us a call on the open line on 13 12 55. Have I missed anybody? Have I gone too hard on anybody? Give us your thoughts. And give us any questions you might have for Peter Bell when he comes on the show in a few minutes' time. He is the Fremantle General Manager Footy Ops. They've had a tough year. What do you think are the questions we should be putting to Belly when we hear from him later? Yes, the West Perth theme song, of course, the grand old flag. They had a massive win on the weekend. They beat Claremont at Revo Stadium, uh, kept their finals hopes alive. And have to say, when I look at their draw on the run home, their destiny is probably to a large degree in their own hands. We've got their coach, Darren Harris, their premiership coach from last year on the line. Darren, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. How are you? I'm good, mate. It must have been just about your best win of the season at the weekend, was it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that one, the, the South Fremantle one, where we, we had a 63-point turnaround, they're probably the two standouts. But, yeah, um, I was really, really impressed with the way the, the lads went about it on the weekend. Their, their pressure was enormous. And um, to have 11 goal kickers says a lot about uh, the buy-in of the team, I believe. So who were the key players for you on the weekend? It looked like Luke Meadows had a big game. 
Yeah, it was um, it was a really hard one actually to do awards because everyone contributed. I think uh, I think our midfield were really good. Riley Sprigg had a a big job against Ollie Eastland, who's who's become just about the best ruckman in the competition, and and so I think we won seventeen of the the centre clearances, which was which was um, a great effort. But he had, you know, Meadows, uh, Aidan Lynch. Um, Mitchie Pearce and, and Shane Nelson all really step up in there on the weekend. Aaron Black, I notice uh, his stats uh, suggest he was injured. What happened there? Yeah, he got knocked out uh, early. At, um, yeah, Lockie Martinez was coming back, and when you looked at the vision, uh, he had his eyes for the footy the whole time, but but he caught Blackie um, really hard high and, and knocked him out. So he, he was out for a little bit. Um, by the time he got to the bench, he'd sort of become a bit more coherent and uh yeah but there was there was no way he was going to be coming back on after after that so talked to him last night he, he seems pretty good so hopefully he'll be okay after the bye so what are the concussion protocols for for waffle footy i, I presume they're the same as for the afl are they yeah you, look all of those um situations are, are purely left up to medical for me i, I you know I think gone are the day where the coaches just send you back out there. Um, so yeah, it's 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 really all about looking after the player. So same co- uh, protocols. They have to do a, a test early in the year, and then um, when they do it again, the scat test. Uh, if they don't pass it, they can't go back on. So you've got four games left, Harrow. You've got Perth, Peel, uh, South Fremantle, and East Perth. If you win all them, I suspect you'll be playing finals. Is that your is that your read on it? Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, we're, we're two games outside um, two two games outside the five. So you know, I guess you, you're relying on other teams and how they go. Um, I guess. But you're chasing Peel and you've got them, haven't you? So you can you can make up. That's one game right there. You can make it? one, yeah, yeah. Oh, look, we're not going to go away. We we're, we're going to fight the, the good fight. Um, and our players are really uh, learn a lot this year uh, about themselves under pressure. So, you know, to be able to come out on the weekend, I don't think Claremont had lost a game at home and do that. Give, gives us a lot of confidence that um, after the bye, we'll, we'll be able to go right after it. Is there a bit on a bit extra on games between West Perth and Claremont now because of your history with the club? Obviously, you were. Um, desperately unlucky, I thought, to be moved on by the club after the 2020 grand final loss. You beat them in 2022, and and uh, I think you gave us one of the all-time great celebrations post that. Is there a bit extra in those games now? Uh, I think I think for the players, they they just want to beat whoever they play. Um, yeah, but for me to go back there and and win, it, it definitely is enjoyable. Um, I can't <laughs> I can't deny that. Um, you know, uh, but again, I, I just love going up there um, after the game and being able to, you know, hug a couple of the players and talk to a few of the parents. And you know, there's still a lot of strong relationships there. But yeah, look, obviously enjoyed enjoyed beating Claremont. Tell us about the coaching transition that's going to take place at West Perth at the end of the year, and and why is that taking place? Uh so. You'd imagine, you know, when I'd, I'd coached for a lot of years and I had a year out of it after the Claremont job, my wife and I had a great year, you know. We were able to go away on weekends, travel, all the things that, you know, for 20-odd for 20, 20 years of coaching that you're away three nights a week and you, 
you really are stuck for um, you know 26 to 28 year, weeks of the year. So um, when I took it back on, I said, look, uh, I'm really keen to help get the next coach, and I'm not sure how long I'll last. So if I if I do come back on board, so it was going to be a year because we won it. It's become another year, and it just gives me the chance to to mentor some coaches. And Jason Salisic has been the standout. Um, so because he was a standout last year with his work ethic and, and the way he went about it and a club legend. He's coaching development this year, which gives him a great chance to, you know, tell his stories and motivate players. And, and those young players are going to come through the system and, and there's some really quality Colts kids. So the succession plan has been a great one. And, and I think great footy clubs have all your key pillars all connected really well. So, you know, you got Fongy, Joe McCarthy, uh, myself and, and Ryan McKenzie, all uh, on the same page. And then you've got a board that supports you. So I think I think we're setting the club up for the future really well. Tell us about what sort of coach you think Jason Salisic will be. Oh, he's methodical. He, um, he puts in an enormous amount of time and effort. But, you know, I think the thing that I've watched with him um, is that he, he he lives and epitomises our values, and and they're really they're really what drive our footy club. Um, and so, because he he's a custodian of them, he's been a premiership captain. He he leads with a lot of that. Um, you know, uh, I guess he tells the story and he really pushes what it is to be a team player and a West Perth person. And what he's also been able to do is analyse the game really well and keep it simple. So these days, the simpler uh, your game plan is uh, and the more freedom your players have to play, I think the better result you get. And he's got a really good balance with that. Um, yeah, and he, he's just really level now. Like, he was quite an intense younger man when he played, but I think he's become more balanced and calm and, um, yeah, doesn't let things get to him as much as he probably did when he was a younger player. Will you be involved at all next year, Harrow, or will you step away completely? Yeah, no, I'm really keen to, to still mentor and um, be involved. Uh, I, I'm not exactly sure how that's that's going to look, but I, I'd imagine it'd be sort of a, you know, probably a, a day a week at the club and, and come to most games and, and just be that, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good fun saying that now, but a bit of grey hair that um, hopefully can offer up a little bit of advice here and there and get people to think, but... I definitely don't want to be, you know, um, too involved that, that people can't coach and grow. So, and I understand that I've been the coach. So I'll I'll be making sure that it's, um, yeah, it's negotiated with everyone there that um, what I do is hopefully adding value. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. We're talking to West Perth Premiership coach Darren Harris. We are, of course, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Utes. Isuzu Utes, you can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. Harrow, um, it's tough to back up after a flag. How has your premiership defence been so far? And how confident are you that your your best footy of the season, I guess, lies ahead of you? Because it's going to have to be if you're going to make finals. Yeah, look, it, it, hasn't, been, it hasn't been an ideal year uh, from a performance point of view, but... Um, culturally, with the kids coming through, the way players have just turned up, you know, to the footy club and um, got about their work every week has been been fantastic. I think last year we we were on what we would call the innocent climb. So, 
you got a new coach in. Um, he's preaching pretty hard on, on what needs to be done and everyone's eyes are wide open because they haven't won one for eight or nine years. And, and I think uh, that real buy-in and that hunger um, from everyone meant that, you know, I think it was around 15 we had our first soft tissue injury. So they're, they're all the standards you live with your preparation. It's how hard all your coaches and your, your support staff and your medical staff are working it's a combination of all those things. And, and what what's happened this year is it only takes a little bit of your standards to drop away when you when you have a few injuries. Um, and you, you can fall away from a consistency point of view. And we identified that about five or six weeks ago. And we've been working really hard on getting those standards right again. And, and it was just a matter of time. We felt it turned probably about three weeks ago. And then our first quarter against West Coast was, was quality. And then on the weekend to... To beat a team like Claremont um, the way we did says that those standards have, have really come back. So I think as much as the performance hasn't been great, the lessons learnt for the future are, are fantastic. And I think if we can maintain those standards, we're going to be pretty hard to beat in these last four games. Tell us about West Perth, the club. I was fascinated when there was a lot of stuff going on about reviewing the waffle competition and equality a, a, a few weeks ago. And, West Perth doesn't have really any sort of um, strong or heavily populated country zones, but you seem to be able to sustain yourself through that northwestern metropolitan corridor. Tell us about how the club stacks up at the moment. Yeah, look, I think I think what happened, and and it goes back a fair way. There's, there's a long history, as you know, like, but when when I think about Jeff Geeshan when he came in, we'd we'd won a couple, I think two or three wooden spoons in a row and he just brought this real professionalism and hard edge and, and there was a lot of us that, that really grabbed hold of that. And then you have a bloke like John Dimmer come in who compliments him. And so what you end up with is this really great recipe. And so over the journey, uh the coaches, uh the assistant coaches, the players like West Perth has had, if you went through, the amount of 100, 200 game players, um, you know, life members, all my coaching staff are ex-players and they're Breckler medalists, premiership players, um, legends of our footy club, is that that's what it does. It, you want to be there because it's just a great place to be. And I think that culture and that environment of really caring and, and looking after each other means that we're we're often the last to surrender we we just don't give in um and i think that's held us in really good stead over the over the journey in a zone that you know we're getting more and more buy-in because people are starting to understand that it's a it's a great environment and great great place to be not only as a footballer but as a person harry wish you all the best for the rest of the season you've been a great waffle coach i hope you have uh, great stuff ahead of you going forward at the end of this season as well thanks for coming on the show Thanks, Duff. Go well, mate. Darren Harris, he is a West Perth Premiership coach, been a great coach at Waffle level, and his Falcons are still in the mix for this season. What do you think of what he's had to say? You can have your say on the temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736. We'll take some news and be back with Fremantle Executive Manager of Football, Peter Bell, after the news.
an internal review needs to be asking Peter Bell the questions, why has this football department not performed? I think their coaching panel isn't strong enough. I, I really like Justin Longmuir's measured approach, but you've got to surround him with a little bit of accountability, a little bit of high-performance itch. Their panel at the moment, they are more development coaches, so they need to bring some edge in. That was Scott Waters on Scotty and Goss for breakfast today, suggesting that uh, Fremantle's coaching panel needs a bit of a reboot. We have Peter Bell, the footy ops manager at uh, Fremantle on the line at the moment. Bally, welcome to the show. Morning, Gus. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, mate. You would have heard what Scotty's had to say. Obviously, it's been a, a very disappointing season for Fremantle after the breakthrough and back into finals last year. Um, what do you make of what, what Scott had to say on Scotty and Goss for breakfast? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I've got full faith in our coaching panel and the club does as well. I think they're a really experienced, driven, uh, motivated uh, group uh, that have got great relationships with the players. Clearly, we haven't performed the way that we would like uh, this year and we need to continue to work hard and, and drive each other to perform better and, and that will be our intention and our endeavour. But yeah, 100% confidence in the coaches that we have. Um, a lot of them um, are experienced uh, both as players, uh, firstly, but also long careers in coaching. So um, we, we think it's a, a really good group. Would you look to add anything to the mix, um, Belly, obviously Josh Carr was a big loss and he was a, a very specific type of character, wasn't he? And he did have that hard hard edge about him. Would you look to add something in as opposed to, to make significant personnel changes? Oh, well, you always review, and, and, and Scott mentioned that as well. You're constantly reviewing the mix that you have um, in all of the football departments, um, particularly around your coaching. So that's something we'll look to do over the next uh, month or so. Um, but again, I'd like to emphasise that you know, we've got full faith in our coaching panel. Have you gotten too young? Is, that, is it as, as simple as that? You, you had Roy Lobb leaves, David Mundy uh, retires, uh, Griffin Logue leaves and Blake Akers leaves and you end up with a, I'd call it a middleweight midfield that's quite young. Is, that, is it as simple as that? Oh, look, that's got to be one of the factors, but I, I don't want that to uh, blur the fact that w- we think we're capable of more and we thought we're capable of performing better, and that will be our intention for the remainder of this year. So I don't want to blur that issue, but the, the facts are that we are we are young. I don't really think that, um, you know, da- losing Dave obviously was a lot of experience and a high-class high class player. Um, the, the other players that you've mentioned, um, we probably missed a little bit of their experience. But uh, overall, uh, um, I think we can develop players who can uh, fill those roles really well. And, and we've seen that um, by uh, giving some exposure to players like, um, you know, Matty Johnson and uh, Rasmus and Jai Amos. Uh, we feel that they're the future. We'll continue to put uh, games into those players and build their experience. Uh, what was probably underestimated was the, the number of changes just perhaps unsettled us a little bit early in the season. Uh, it takes a while to build that synergy uh, of new teammates coming in and probably more changes than we would have liked. Um, that, that was probably more effective than the actual uh, players themselves. Tell us about the decisions made over the last 24 to 48 hours to sit Sean Darcy and Nathan Fife down for the season. Yeah, well, uh, uh, dealing with them separately. Um, Sean, the decision was made after specialist advice that um, he needed to have um, some surgery to repair some ligaments in his ankle. 
uh, we were weighing up whether a more conservative route uh, would have been um, uh, the best course of action. But ultimately, after taking specialist advice, um, the decision was made for him to go into surgery. And once that happens, then you're going into a sort of moon boot for a period of time. Um, and, uh, yeah, it meant that his uh, season was going to be over. Um, uh, Nathan had the stress fracture uh, and hadn't probably... Uh, it was a bit of a long shot, I think, once we had the, the stress fracture that he'd be available to, to be back later in the year. And uh, we just had a couple of little delays there that, that meant that um, uh, we, we made the call that his season would be over. And uh, given that, we'd also go in and fix up uh, an issue that he had with one of his fingers as well. So... Um, yeah, it's unfortunate for both those players in the club. Obviously, Nathan has a two-year contract, which you clinched this year. It'll take him into 2024 and 2025. He hasn't played a lot of footy in the last two seasons. Are you still comfortable with that two-year extension? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, uh, you know Nathan's been a, um, a great servant to the club. We feel that there's good football ahead uh, of Nathan. Um, we know he can get his body right and be a valuable contributor. And the other part of it is, is getting back to your last comment about how young we are. We need uh, um, some experience uh, at the club. Um, Nathan brings that. Uh, he brings the, the professionalism and the, and the hard edge that, um, you know, getting back to, I suppose, Scotty's comments as well, we, we need to retain some of that experience and, and leadership at the club, which Nathan certainly provides. There's been a lot of heat recently put on your captain, Alex Pierce. I know that the captaincy is a player's vote, so in many ways uh, it's not something the club has direct control over. But um, is Alex Pierce the right person, do you think, to take the club forward, or will is there a chance we'll see a new captain at Fremantle in 2024? No, we support Alex 100%. It is, you're right, Duff, it is a, a player vote, um, and, and the coaches have some influence in that as well. Um, and it was um, very strong. Uh, Alex being voted into the position as, as captain, he performed that role um, out of necessity the year before uh, really well as well. Uh, when, when Nathan was, was out with injury, um, we think he's continuing to grow his leadership and we're 100% behind Alex as captain. One thing I did love about the way you went about it on Saturday, even though it ended up in a 29-point loss, is you look like you're, you're committed to go quick and try and take on the game and play what is being described as fast footy, which appears to be sweeping across the league. Was it? Did it take a while to embrace how the game has changed, do you think, in the last 12 to 24 months with Collingwood doing what they're doing? It's always been our intention to, to, to play quicker in the right circumstances. Uh, we weren't able to execute that as well as we would have liked in, in certain stages of the year, and that's due to a variety of reasons. Um, uh, in, including um, at times being stuck in our defensive half. It's very difficult to play um, really quick from the last line of defence. As an example, you leave yourself exposed to, to scoring on a, on a turnover. Um, it's one of the, the best ways to score. So um, getting stuck in our back half was an issue, but certainly what we would like to do um, in, in the right opportunities, particularly across a possession game, across half-back or in defensive mid, is when we have the opportunity to bounce and go straight at the game, we'd like to do that. Um, we saw elements of that against Sydney uh, more consistently, and that will be our challenge to continue to do that um, a lot more consistently, so that um, we can use our strengths. We've got we've got some really dangerous high half forwards in in, in Frederick and Schultz and Switkowski uh, and others, and we'd like to utilise their strengths. And by do, uh, by moving the ball quickly, we can, we hope to do that. 
Question from Carlos from Pembledon Belly. Um, please ask Peter Bell if he got the recruiting wrong. We needed a big bodied mid and an experienced forward. Instead, we got a ruckman and a small mid. These are the areas we're lacking. What, do, what would you say to that? Uh, well, I think uh, I touched on the inside mids uh, previously, and, and and we think that uh, you know Matty Johnson at a, you know 194 centimetres and Neil Erasmus at 190 centimetres in time will be really strong uh, contributors. We need to expose them to football so that they can grow and develop their games. Um, uh, absolutely um, thrilled to bring in Luke Jackson, and we think that um, you know in the in the next 10 to 12 to maybe even 15 years, he's going to be a, a wonderful contributor to Fremantle. Um, as far as the key forward is concerned, um, you know, Jai Amos is tracking really well as a 19-year-old key forward, kicking, you know, around 30 goals in a team that at times hasn't moved the ball fluently to him. So he's another one we need to put game time into. Um, and Josh Tracy also as a, as a young key forward, I think he's 20 from memory. Um, we, we have to accept that, um, you know, consistency is going to be a challenge for these young guys, particularly when you're dealing with a, a, a younger midfield as well. So um, we're always on the lookout to bring in uh, bring in talent. So if, if the right um, sort of player was available from a, a trade, free agency or draft perspective, uh, along some of those suggestions that I think it was, was it Carlos in Pemberton? Carlos, yeah. certainly yeah. look at them. Yeah, Carlos, yeah. Um, for a 19-year-old, Amos has actually been remarkably consistent, but he's starting to look a little bit tired now, isn't he? Is he fatiguing a little bit as the season gets to a close? Oh, you'd suggest so. Um, he's, he's a tough young man, um, but he's also uh, had a very limited two pre-season in his, in his time in the AFL. He, he hasn't done a whole lot of work. So what he's doing now is pretty much off the back of natural talent and, and the, the amount of work that he's been able to do in, in season. So that really excites us because um, you know he's tracking exceptionally well with enormous scope for improvement. Uh, we do have to look after him as well, and he is getting a little bit banged up. So we're managing his loads at training and and a few other things, but um, he's such a competitor. He wants to be out there every week, but, um, you know, we're weighing up exactly how we manage him through the remainder of the year. Matt Johnson, a little bit similar perhaps, probably two quiet games in the last three weeks. How's he going? Yeah, I mean, it, it, he'd be in the same boat. I think it's it's a big ask to get in there and, and, and bang, um, smash bodies with the, with, the, with the big mids in the AFL now. It, the, that contested part of footy is really taxing and you need time for your body to adapt to that. Um, it, it takes a lot of time. And, and uh, when, when you're down close to the interchange and you see uh, the collisions that these guys have consistently, um, it, it, it never ceases to amaze at how challenging the game is for the inside mid. So, um, but your body does change over time. It, it can endure that. It can cope with it. Uh, and that's why we, we've got to continue to expose these young players uh, to that. Liam Henry's an interesting one, Belly. He's, he's broken into the team and starting to play good AFL quality footy. Obviously, he's still uncontracted at the moment. How confident are you that you can retain him? And, and what's your view of his progress this year? I'll start with the second part of that question. I think he's progressed really well. Um, uh, he's worked really hard on his game. He's, a, he's an elite runner. Um, he's uh, of late, particularly, really running the wing patterns well with a um, little little burst forward as well. Um, we know we can rely on his work rate. Um, he's still working through, making the right decisions with with ball in hand. But we think he's you know really improved in that area. Um, and he, he's worked really hard. I'm, I was thinking about Liam's career, and he, and he came in. I think he was sixty. 
66 or 65 kilograms when he came into the game. So you spend a couple of years building up your running capacity and building up your body. Uh, it's a little bit more outside than obviously the inside mid, so less collisions, but it's still physically demanding. And Liam had to work really hard on that over, over a couple of years. And also in um, COVID-interrupted years, so he gets drafted and then uh, can't actually access the facilities and the gyms and all that sort of stuff as much as you'd, you'd like for the first three or four months. Um, but overall, we've been really pleased with how he's progressing. Um, the fact that he's you know out of contract and it's coming up to very late in the season means that we have to uh, we have to contemplate that he he might see his future elsewhere. But we're continuing to work really hard, and and hopefully we can uh, convince Liam and, and Liam sees his future uh, being at Fremantle. A player that came on as a sub at the weekend played the last quarter, had five disposals, and just. I love the way this bloke moves, and I think after a pre-season, you might have a player in your hands. Ethan Stanley, tell us about his impact on the club since he's arrived in the mid-season draft. Yeah, it's been an amazing story. I mean, a year ago, he was playing under-19s at the Frankston and uh, Box Hill found him and got him involved in their system, uh, and he just really improved quickly. And, yeah, he's a, he's a lovely mover, uh, long kick of the footy, uh, and Fremantle fans would have seen glimpses of that on, on Saturday night. Um, he's settled in really well. He's really respectful and hardworking. Uh, and we've been thrilled with how quickly he's adapted uh, and even having the confidence on the weekend to, to really go for his kicks and, and to not panic and not look out of place in his, his first taste of AFL footy uh, gives us really bright hopes for the future for Ethan. We think he'll um, really pop physically after um, some pre-season and, and pre-seasons and also understanding the game plan and, and getting stronger relationships with his teammates as well can only can only help his development so uh, credit to David Walls and the recruiting department for identifying uh, Ethan and, and making the call. Interesting mix in your midfield now and when David Mundy retired the feeling was maybe you'd gotten Jaeger O'Meara in to, to try and replace David. It feels like he's more replaced Will Brody. Can you tell us how Will Brody is tracking? Obviously he's had the ankle problem in recent weeks. Does the club have a confidence that Will Brody and Jager O'Meara can coexist in the same midfield? Yeah, we do. Um, unfortunately for Will, he's, he's copped a nasty sort of ankle injury that's kept him out of footy for the, the last few weeks. We're hopeful um, that, uh, well, actually, there's, there's a buy at Peel this week, which is frustrating, but we were hopeful that he would have been right to play this week. So very confident that he'd be right the week after. But, um, yeah, getting that exact mix right will be something we'll have to work through. But, yes, we are confident that, you know, Will and Jager can play in the same midfield. What do you hope to get uh, out of the remaining few weeks of this season? What sort of things can you do to set you up for next year? We'd like to build on what uh, we did on uh, Saturday night, um, barring the six or seven minutes that cost us five goals in the first quarter. That's been really frustrating, but the overall intent uh, and style of play that we were trying to execute, that's what we'd like to build on over the over the coming weeks. It's a big challenge down at Geelong, but um, you know we had, a, we had a good win there last year. But that's what we'd consistently like to do, uh, remain really connected and united and, and playing that brand of footy uh, so that our fans can see the direction that we're going in. We, we'd like to perform that consistently. That's been a frustration this year, second quarter against Collingwood in recent times. You know, the five or six minutes uh, against Sydney that, yeah, cost us those goals, they're really the gaps in the match that are just too big to overcome. So we want to eliminate those um, inconsistencies and just execute four quarters of strong Fremantle football. And obviously four quarters means the first quarter. Have you figured out what's going wrong uh, in the first quarters of your matches? 
No, we haven't, obviously, because we, we haven't improved and it's very frustrating. We've tried a lot of different things, so we'll continue to do that. But ultimately, you know, the, the players that are out there have to take responsibility for our starts in games. Um, we'll help them with everything that we're doing as far as, you know, the pre-match programming and, and what we're doing right before the match and, and making sure that, you know, the arousal levels are at the required state. So we're, we're still working for that and, and it is frustrating. Um, an interesting player that I really rate. I reckon he's an absolute star, but he's looked, he's been solid enough for you this year, but he's looked a bit off his best. Hayden Young, has he been carrying any minor injury or anything? Because one of the things that appears to have affected a little bit, I reckon, is his disposal. Certainly on the weekend, he may have been. He, he had a, um uh, ankle injury that kept him out for um, a game and, and no doubt, like a lot of players, um, not comp- not 100%. So, um with the ankle injury, uh, look, I'm sure Hayden would would like to have a few of his kicks back, particularly a couple inside inside 50 that he missed, and and we'll back him to hit those. But um, look, perhaps that ankle injury and um, may have had something to do with that just a, a little bit of a lack of confidence in it. But we're we're sure that in the long run, Hayden will continue to develop um, his game and be a big part of our future. Um, and overall, I still think he's had a, a reasonably strong season. Where are you at with making sure you lock Sean Darcy away for the long term? Yeah, uh, Sean obviously comes out at the end of next year, um, along with Brennan Cox. At the end of next year, they become restricted free agents. So um, we've uh, began begun dialogues with both of their management groups and hopefully towards the, the latter stages of this year and, and into the pre-season, we'll be able to um, come to some agreement. There's a lot of work to be done there, but we've only had really positive discussions to this point in time. And one more before I let you go, Joel Hamling's return to AFL footy. It's a, it's a really good story when you think the time he's been out. How have you seen his two games back? It's been great to have um, Joel out there. Uh, he's worked so hard to, to get his opportunity. He had that really um, um, or terrible angle injury a couple of years ago, and it's been a, a working progress to get back to sort of AFL level uh, conditioning, conditioning and um, and having the confidence in, in his body. Um, his, his contest has been really good. Um, he's still building out um, other areas of his game, um, you know, as far as our, our ball movement is concerned and, and running the right pat- the patterns to assist in our ball movement. But one thing about Joel is he's a, a really strong competitor. And I think in one-on-one contests, uh, he's demonstrated that again over the past couple of weeks and um, potentially have a really important role to play this week uh, as well. Bally, really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the show. Good luck against Geelong and Geelong. It's a massive challenge, but hopefully we see a repeat of what you delivered there last year. Yeah, that'd be nice. Thanks, Duff. Peter Bell, he is the footy ops manager at Fremantle. Of course, they've had a very challenging year. What do you think? You can have your say on the temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736. You can give us a call on the open line on 13 12 55. We are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Ute. You can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. We'll be back after the break. Showers today heading for a top of 17. More showers for tomorrow, Wednesday and 15. And staying wet on Thursday, more showers and 17. And don't miss Trackside with Cam Luke and Campbell Brown. That's this afternoon on SEN Track.
Live your way in the powerful Isuzu D-Max. Visit your local Isuzu Ute dealer today. Mornings with Mark Duffield. Doherty tosses it up. Charlie Curdo sets himself, almost got his hands to it. Has it. Charlie, this is it. It rolls over oh. through. <laughs> this is what we came for. Ten goals in a game is a glorious feat. And for the first time, Charlie Curdo achieves it. Charlie Curdo's tenth goal at the weekend against West Coast. I'm not sure it's what West Coast fans came for, and I don't think it's what West Coast fans tuned in for on the tally. But anyway, a great effort by Charlie Kernow, very talented young player. To talk about the game and to talk about the upcoming game against North Melbourne, we have on the line Josh Kennedy. He's a West Coast Eagles legend. He's an AFL life member. I'm, I'm pretty sure it wasn't what you tuned in for, Josh, even though you were a forward. But anyway, what do you make of it? Uh, good morning, mate. Yeah, no, look, it obviously um, not the result that, that West Coast wanted, and, and Seeing an opposition player kick 10 goals is not what you want. But, yeah, obviously the start, again, was, um, you know, it was disappointing. Uh, losing Barras, you know, just before the game. I think, obviously, his shoulder from that um, that fall on Rewalt last week, you know, they, they gave him every opportunity to get up and play, but was pulled out uh, the morning of the game. So, um, and Carlton to go ahead and, and kick nine goals in that first quarter, it's, um, it's pretty hard to kind of, Peg your way back. But, you know, in saying that, positive from the last half, I think they evened out a bit. They lifted their pressure and contest. And, um, yeah, it was, um, I suppose, not as a big a result as, as it could have been. So take us back to the Tommy Barris thing. And obviously it's an injury that the club is aware of because it's happened in the game before. What would have been the processes that enabled it to get so late before they realised he wasn't going to get up? Yeah, well, obviously the injury would have happened. I would have done a lot of assessment early on. Um, TV, they would have, obviously, if it is his shoulder, um, I think they probably looked at a bit more concussion stuff. But, um, but yeah, with the shoulder injury, he would have been light on during the week. Um, you know, it would have gone through just getting a flush and doing some running, probably not using the shoulder as much in terms of, you know, um, con- contact or, or, or run around marking. But, um, you know, sometimes with these things, you know, if you've always got any flames and everything else, sun and sun, that can help you kind of get up for a game. But just pushing it to the last minute, he obviously had um, felt okay and there probably was still a chance to, um, as it was getting better day in, day out. Um, and generally with that, that stuff, you, you know, you always want to push your, your senior, well, not senior players, but your, your quality players, um, you know, right until the point where, you know, they either put their hand up and say, look, I can't compete today with this shoulder. Um, and, and obviously, it, it must have been getting better daily. But, um, but yeah, uh, obviously getting to the point of the morning, he would have done a fitness test, I assume, and would have done some contests, would have done some spoils, um, would have been in, in those, I suppose, situations that you were in a game. And uh, TB probably obviously put his hand up and didn't feel quite confident that he'd be able to get through the game with it. Charlie Kernow's a pretty fair player, isn't he, Josh? What do you make of him as one of the quality power forwards in the game at the moment? Oh, mate, yeah. He's yeah, exciting to watch, you know what I mean? Being so young as well, um, obviously coming off with Coleman, um, you know, in, in a side that, um, you know, hasn't pushed for finals yet and, and been one of those top sides, but um, also having another key, um, I suppose, forward in, in Harry Mackay next to him. So a lot of ball kind of gets shifted between the two, but... He, he still managed to take his opportunity. He can jump. He's strong. Um, he's athletic. Um, he's good on the ground and all those qualities that, that come with a good tall forward. And 
yeah, when when you're on, you're on. Um, you can see in that first term he kicked three. Um, there's a couple of couple of good clunks there that he's able to do. And yeah, I just I just love watching. I suppose he does a lot of early work to get split, but in those contests, you just see him rise above. He's um he's got a good jump. He's pretty athletic, and yeah, he's um he's exciting. Watch that's what people go to the football. He is very very athletic. I thought. Adam Simpson got his matchup wrong to start. I know that he's had to scramble because of the laid out of uh, Tommy Barris, but I felt he was asking too much when all things were considered, experience, size, um, and the likelihood of playing to a losing midfield. I, I thought it was asking too much of Brady Hoff. What did you make of that decision by Simo? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. Um, I suppose you've got you've got Bazo, who is, is a key tall and, and generally takes you know guys like Charlie Kernow and... Um, players in that position now. Hoff, um, who's we've talked about before, someone who can play tall and small, and um, maybe they just thought with his, um, you know, his athletic ability, he might be able to run with him. And um, but obviously early on, yeah, it, it wasn't um, wasn't the best call. But yeah, I, watching early, I, I thought he was they were just getting mismatches. I didn't realise he started on him, so um, would have been a big, big tough challenge and a tough ask for for Hoff, but. He would have took it in stride and, and, and had a crack. And, you know, for younger players like that, you know, sometimes it's good for the experience because um, you learn a fair bit of, of quality players like that. But, um, but yeah, it obviously wasn't the right decision in the end. They had to switch over to Bazo. And then uh, and Oscar, obviously, um, uh, coming back, um, you know, which is not really what you want to do. Poor Oscar, I think, early days, you know, played a lot down back, filling in that role and um, is equipped with those skills and, um, he obviously wants to play forward and he is, um, he is our key forward, but he has the ability to swing back and help out the team. So um, he's done that a couple of times this year. And it's obviously disappointing to lose him from up forward, but they needed to make that call, um, obviously with Kerner and the way he was going. How reluctant would Adam Simpson be to start with Oscar Allen on Charlie Kerner, knowing that he is probably the best matchup, but also knowing that yeah. it strips him of his best forward? What would be the, yeah, what would well, be the process yeah. of thought there? Oh, it definitely would have gone through, um, you know, the thought process. The coaches would have sat around and and looked at the possibility of Tom Brass not playing and what are the options. You know, there's Brady, there's Bazo, um, you know, Bunga to an extent, and then obviously pulling Oscar. You don't want to. You want to start your players in their in their normal positions, and um, and also being a, a younger list now and, and looking to rebuild and um, transition that list and, and give these younger guys experience. You know, this is where they learn. Um, it's obviously not great to watch as a fan, and, and probably pretty daunting for the player stepping onto a Charlie Kerno. But you know, these are where they this is where they learn from experience. They assess their video, and um, getting chucked in the deep end sometimes you can you can come out the other side. Um, you know, a lot better player in years to come. They weren't helped by what was going on in the middle, were they? And and in the middle, really, West Coast should have been better than they were. There was no Paddy Cripps. There was no Adam Chera. There was Luke Shuey there. There was Tim Kelly there. Was there was Dom Sheed there, and it was carnage coming out of the middle in that in that first quarter, which really sold their defenders down the river a bit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, Carlton, you know, and they they made a lot of noise about it. Um, pressure and contest is is the is the one thing that they want to bring to their game, and they were able to bring that, um, especially in the middle, the, the pressure they put on and. And winning that contest, um, you know, stoppage clearances, clearances, yeah, 57 to 25, you know, around the ground, 39 to 15. So they were really dominant in that area and getting it forward, obviously, which helped, um, you know, guys like Colonel up forward. So, yeah, it obviously is a little bit disappointing, um, you know, because that's something that um, your game, you know, has to be built on. Sometimes clearances can be deceiving, you don't have to win them, but 
that contest and pressure around um, once that ball gets off the hands of the ruckman, you know, is pretty vital to get it in your forward half. And I think in that first quarter, I think that they went at 17% tackle efficiency. So, you know, Carlton were kind of able to run run around um, with minimal pressure, um, which as you saw with the, with the transition of footy, it was pretty free flowing ball movement. Luke Shuey, another hamstring injury, not a major one, we're told, and possibly, you know, maybe only one to two weeks out. But where does it leave him yep. in terms of going on in 2024? Oh, look, it's, it's, yeah, it is a hard one uh, to kind of call on. Um, he'll just be focusing on getting his hammy right and then moving on to week to week, as it is at the moment. He's obviously had a few, and um, he had a really good uh, training building block, you know, which would have put him in good stead. Now, this is obviously a little setback, but... You know, being a little one, you, you're able to probably push a little bit more and do a bit more than actually shutting down and, and going back into that process again because he hadn't had that, you know, uh, building block before the previous injury. So um, hopefully it's only just a little one. Um, I think he's back running on, on Monday yesterday. Um, so those protocols in place for, for the hammy and, and getting, I suppose, the blood flow back into it and, and, and pushing up to be able to hopefully get some high-end pace whether it's the end of this week or next week. Um, but yeah, obviously with his history, they'll be, they'll be making sure they monitor it. But I think the the training block that he had in that period of, you know, three to four weeks, three to four weeks, um, you know, will kind of help fast track, I suppose, him getting back playing this little one. He's no chance to play this week, is he? There was a story in the West Australian today uh, suggesting that, 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 that he was, or that he hadn't been ruled out yet. What, what would you make of that? Yeah, well, I don't know. You kind of look at, obviously, previous history and there's a little bit of risk with it. But, um, you know, the, the building block and the training block that he's done with everything else, it will come down to, I think, a lot of the strengths and um, the position of where it is. Um, you know, Hammies can be quite fiddly sometimes on, on where they are. Um, if it's in a position that, um, you know, is not going to allow him to get the top-end speed, he won't be able to get through those fitness tests. But sometimes they can be, you know, even look at, um, I suppose, Jimby with his Hammy. Now he's going for a little minor surgery, but he was up running you know, pretty much flat, flat, um, flat pace the other day. So um, it just depends on where it is. But I think they'd have a lot of confidence in, in the training block that he's done and in everything that goes around, I suppose, the hamstrings and, and the strengths and um, your conditioning with it. Um, but in saying that, you know, you look at um, with Boots' history and, um, you know, there's probably a little bit of risk in, in pushing this week, but it just depends on where that hammy, little hammy tear is. We talk about this a bit, Josh, and it's a tough call to be made at the end of the year. He's played nine of 18. He's been subbed out in three of them. What are your thoughts? Do you expect Luke Shuey to still be there as a player next year? Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's going to come down to a little bit of, I suppose, yeah, well, boots and the club. You know, there'll be a lot of conversations probably going on now, I assume, um, whether that's with, you know, higher up with Niz and obviously um, talking with coaches and, and how Boots is kind of feeling, you know, is is, is that, like you said, nine games out of the, the 18 that have been played, had a few niggles with his injuries and, um, you know, trying to lead the club. In saying that, when he has played, he's played really well. He's 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 done his job. Um, he's led, um, you know, being the captain of the football club and, and really stood up in games that, you know, where West Coast are being exposed. So um, that confidence in when he is playing uh, would put a, you know, would lessen that doubt, I suppose, um, from one selectors and, and also, you know, himself. Um, and just trying to stay on the park would be the big issue. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting come the back end of this year with, I suppose, with Luke and a few other players on one, the club's direction or, you know, one, what they want to do. 
It does. And obviously with the, the amounts of money that are on um, at, at stake now, it's very difficult for a player to go to the club and say, I think I've had enough, isn't it? Really, the club has to get yeah. to a point where they think they're no longer viable. You probably got to a point where you'd pretty much milked everything out of your body. And so both you and the club probably knew it was time. But I would imagine for most players, there's a very difficult discussion takes place at the end of a season. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there are always the discussions. You know, you, you, you're pretty lucky um, to be able to play uh, at the highest level of AFL, and you've, you've usually got there from you know a lot of dedication and hard work and commitment. And um, sometimes when your body keeps failing, that you know that can be quite hard to deal with. And then you look at the game, and and obviously um, there is that aspect of um, your job and, and the money you can earn and potentially you know keep going for a few more years, but. Um, you know, sometimes, yeah, the body just, just tells you um, to, to finish up and, and, and sometimes you get to that point. So, you, you, you know, as much as Luke's had a really good um, career and, you know, obviously there's that you just want to keep playing. Um, but, you know, sometimes, you know, in doubt in your mind, you just, you just don't want to keep pushing through. I got to that point where you just, you know, what's the point in sitting on the sidelines and getting through and trying to get up every week to play? There's that passion because you love it, but it can drain you sometimes. Is there another factor at play here too? Like if you're a young player and you're sort of like on the cusp of being in the best 22 and Luke Shuey, when he his fit plays and takes your spot in the team and then you come back when he's sore or uh, when he needs a rest and then you go out again when he comes back in, is that potentially disruptive to a young player's development if he decides to go on? Um. Oh. Oh, yes and no. Um, it depends. I think there's a lot of players in that position that have that have been through that. You know, um, a lot of players come in as a as a young kid. You know, you look at uh, Jeremy Govan um, is one who you know Darren Glass was coming through the back end of his career, and um, Gov was you know playing the waffle and getting frustrated, and because he felt like he deserved a chance, and um, he he had to hold off. What it did, it was built you know kind of resilience in that where you can't just mope around um, and just be like, oh, I should be playing. Oh, this is, this is you know, this is bullcrap. Um, you know, you, you get back on the horse every week. You keep trying to improve. Um, you might be thinking you're playing well, but there's always that another level you can go to. And that's what happened to Gov. And Gov came in and, you know, look at the career he's had over the time. Um, you know, four-time All-Australian, probably one of the best backs of the, of the decade with the way he played. And that all come from having someone in front of him and kept pushing and pushing to be better and better. No, that's a fair point. Um, Ruben Jinby, obviously season over now. You mentioned hamstring surgery, but can you um, give us some indication as to what that hamstring surgery is? Because as you mentioned, running well at training, um, clearly not uh, a tendon reattachment or something like that. But uh, what would he be having done? Well, I, and this is like, I don't know the exact thing of the injury, so I'm just assuming here that, Obviously, it's pretty low um, from all reports, and um, it must be somewhere along the line of kind of where the, the tendon runs into the hamstring, and there, there might be just a little nick um, that they might need to just kind of sew up and repair. So, obviously, it's not a, a tendon rupture where they're, they're full reattaching it, um, but obviously, with this, they're able to kind of just repair that line. Um, and like I said before, with the different positions of it, where it is on the tendon, and, and you're still able to probably still run and, and get up to speed, but the risk of overuse and tiredness um, in a game, and as you kept, if you kept going, you know, it could possibly make that tear a lot bigger, and then eventually rupture it or tear it through. So, 
um, I assume that it's just in that kind of line as the tendon comes into the hammy, and that's what they just needed to have a little repair on. North Melbourne at home this week, Josh. What do you reckon? This is why we pay you the big bucks. Can West Coast win this week? <laughs> uh, well, I think every week, yeah, players you know go out to win, and obviously it's been disappointing this year. And um, obviously North, the way they've been playing, have been you know obviously towards that bottom end, just like West Coast. So um, obviously start of the year, um, lost the game by just under a kick, and um, yeah, yeah, looking obviously to. Play them at home now. Um, the back end of the last quarter, last half, you know, they take a bit of positive out of that, moving into a home game. Um, uh, yeah, seven-day break, a bit more time to recover. Um, it, it, giving them every chance to play. Hopefully, Brass and um, and Tom, Tommy Brass, sorry, and Jeremy McGovern are back in. Um, yeah, so it's looking looking like there's a possibility of getting the win. But well, I think West Coast just got to stick to their process and trying to play consistent brand is, is in, in what they want to do, especially with the contest and the pressure around that. Um, you know, their scores from start, uh, from turnover have been been really good um, the last couple of weeks. So when they ability to put that pressure on and transition the footy forward, they're able to score. So if they can bring that, um, I reckon they can really get North on the back foot and, and hopefully get their second win for the year. Hey, one more, just a quick one before I let you go. Alex Witherden has really steadied his season in the back half of the year, hasn't he? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, with O coming over uh, from Brizzy, he, he's been in the late kick, um, you know, his whole career. And um, I think, you know, he's gone away from what his strengths are and he really need to use, need to, use, to utilise his, his foot a lot more because he is a really good kick. And when he's got that confidence, he's really able to break the game open. And I think he's, he's settled in the position this year and, and really found kind of what his role is and, and how he needs to defend, but then also attack. And um, as we've said, We've seen with a few intercepts and um, even just, you know, turnovers, he's been able to get his hands on the footy um, and, and really kind of break those lines to help it transition down back. So it's been great to see him, um, I suppose, pick up into some form. Um, and, um, you know, that's why they recruited him to, to be a classy defender with, with skills. And, you know, you talk about, you know, Shannon Hearn, hopefully can kind of replace him as, um, as Shannon comes towards the end of his career. Okay, one word, win or not this week. Win. Win. Well done. All right. Confidence from Josh Kennedy, West Coast Eagles (laughs) legend, AFL life member. Josh, always appreciate your insights and thoughts when you come on your show. Thanks for joining us this morning. No worries. Thanks, mate. Josh Kennedy says West Coast can win against North Melbourne this weekend. What do you think? You can have your say on the temper at Bedshed text line. That is 0487 736 736. You can give us a call on the open line. That is 13 12 55. We are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Utes, and you can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. We'll be back after the break. Live your own way in the seven-seat Isuzu MUX. Visit your local Isuzu Ute dealer today. Mornings with Mark Duffield. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio. Don't forget to shop winter at TKD. We're going to get to some of your text messages in the last half hour of the show that have been sent in on the temperate bedshed text line. There's a few good ones come through on West Coast. 
But before we do, let's bring you up to date on the state of the nation, if you like, ladders around the nation in the AFL, the WAFL and the SWFL. Thanks to Class Harvest, they handle your crops with ease. And Julian Marcus joins me from the studio in Melbourne. Julian. Oh, the state of the nation. Uh, state of the nation, mate. We'll go, we'll go with that going forward, I reckon. State of the union. The state of the <laughs> union. Uh, so we'll start with the uh, the AFL. You're not going to do this to me now. The AFL website's <laughs> crashed. So I'll go back to the uh, AFL tables one I have. Um, Collingwood on top, 64 points. Percentage essentially less than two games clear. You'd think first place is just about theirs also. Now, Port Adelaide on 56 points. They're in second. Brisbane on 52 points. With a good, um, good battle going on for that home qualifying final between Brisbane and Port now. Absolutely. Brisbane's percentage is 130. Port Adelaide's is 113.7. So Brisbane will have the tiebreaker if they finish equal. Uh, Melbourne on 48 points also can't be discounted in uh, the battle for second place. 123.7% is their total. Uh, the Bulldogs on 40 points, one of three sides on 40, equal with the Saints and the Giants. And then you have Geelong on 38 points, just ahead of Carlton on percentage for that final spot in the eight for now. And also Richmond, who were for a moment in ninth place on a percentage of 99.9. And that would have been endless uh, as far as some of the old retro ninthman jokes. Uh, Essendon in an 11th place on 36 points, still in the conversation. Sydney still in the conversation as well on 34. And then you have the Crows after that loss at the MCG on Sunday. Probably, well, they are out of the running now. Same was the Suns. Fremantle on 28 points. Hawthorne on 20. North Melbourne on 8. West Coast on 4. So that is your current state of the nation when it comes to the AFL. In the waffle, East Perth leading the way. They are currently on top, an 11-3 and three record, 44 points. Claremont in second on 40. East Fremantle on 36 points. Subiaco equal as well, but behind on percentage. They're in fourth. And likewise for Peel Thunder, who make up the final spot in the top five. Then West Perth, Swan District, South Fremantle, the Perth Demons, and the West Coast Eagles, who... Came so desperately close, stuff to getting that first win of the season in the Waffle this know, past weekend. I don't know whether you saw that, but I did. They, they had the opportunity to wrap the game up um, and unfortunately kicked a point. Swans got the ball back and went end-to-end and uh, a great clunk by young Tom Edwards uh, down in attack and then a long straight kick for goal to snatch the game from the Eagles. These things happen when you haven't won a game, don't they? It just sums up their season, doesn't it? It just yep. sums up the Eagles season in the waffle and in the seniors too. Uh, the SWFL, we'll have a look at the table there. Bustleton on top of Donnybrook, South Bunbury, Kerry Park, Bunbury, Harvey Bulls, Augusta, Margaret River, Harvey, Brunswick, Leshenault, Dunsborough, Collie Eagles and Eaton. So... There's your State of the Union, Duff. Thank you very much, Julian. State of the Union, the ladders around the nation, thanks to Class Harvest, has everything you need to harvest and handle your crops with maximum efficiency and ease. We are coming to you live from the Toolkit Depot studio. Don't forget to shop winter at TKD. After the break, we'll be back to get through a lot of your texts that have come through on the Temper at Bedshed text line. Live your own way in the seven-seat Isuzu MUX. Visit your local Isuzu Ute dealer today. Mornings with Mark Duffield. 
Yes, welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio. Don't forget to shop winter at TKD. And thank you to Isuzu Utes for helping us bring you the show today. You can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max and the seven-seater MUX. We're going to get to some text messages now that uh, have been sent through on the temper at Bedshed text line. If you want to get a late one in, you might be able to squeeze it in on 0487 736 736. Julian, what have we got? Let's start with an old friend of ours, Lisa from Ellenbrook. Morning, Duffin team. I agree with you on Chewy, Hearn, and sadly can't see Nick Nat coming back. Cripps, Gaffey, I feel can still play on, and Jack Darling gets in a great preseason. He could be of great value next year. I think a lot of players are worried about life after football and there won't be that regular paycheck. I think, uh, yeah, everyone does. And look, one of the things that fascinates me in the way that fans view this is they say, oh, he should retire for the good of the club. He should, uh, you know, the coach should step away from the good of the club. There's a lot of money on the line here. And trust me, if you had this much money on the line, you wouldn't be stepping away. There might be hard to conversations take place. The club might come to you and tap you on the shoulder, and that is what has to happen. So um, I think they need to get rid of about three of those oldies. I think Shannon Hearn obviously has is 35. He turns 36 next year. He's only played 11 of 18 games this year. I think Luke Shuey, the, the hamstring injury on the weekend to me, was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. Um, I think that he should retire as well. And the question I put to Josh Kennedy, I think, is a relevant one. I think if Luke Shuey plays on and he's playing half the games, he's getting shunted in and out of the team, which means a kid is as well. And um, you can argue that that builds resilience. It can also fracture confidence and belief in your own ability. And what one of the greatest challenges that young people have when they play AFL footy is they have to convince themselves they can. And if they spend too long convincing themselves they can, they end up convincing themselves they can't and they become less aversion of themselves, and you can see it happening with young players who don't quite get there. And I think that's what's happened with a player like Xavier O'Neill at West Coast, for example, a player who came in with a lot of talent and hasn't been able to convince himself that he can. I just go back to Saturday and seeing Luke Shuey on the bench at Marble Stadium. He looked like a guy that just knew. He looked like a guy that knew. I wouldn't be surprised if he makes the call himself, to be honest. Yeah, but they keep on convincing themselves over time, West Coast, that, oh, no, it might be all right. He might be able to come back, you know. And even Adam Simpson's rhetoric in the paper today where he's saying, oh, it's not that bad. He might even play this week. We haven't ruled him out yet. I mean, please, you know, enough's enough. He's he's played nine of 18 this year. He's been subbed out in three. He's turning 34 next year. It's not going to get any better than it is at the moment. So let's just move on and uh, find... Um, you know, younger players who can take their place. Put Andrew, if you're going to keep Andrew Gaff, put him in a different role, play him inside more and get some value out of him in the last year of his contract. Uh, we'll go to Jason in Perth who's text through. Morning, Duff. You think West Coast could pull the trigger and do a Hawthorne with deep cuts? I think they'll be more conservative with their senior players, Jason, than Hawthorne were. Obviously, Hawthorne, you know, going back a few years, started uh, – um, shifting people like Sam Mitchell and Jordan Lewis on from the club. Luke Hodge, they played footy elsewhere after leaving the Hawks. So I don't think it'll be as radical as all that, but I do think they have to shift eight to ten players. I think if they shift three of their older players, I think that still leaves them with scope to shift five to seven of their players. They won't touch, I don't think, their first and second-year players, so I don't think it'll be the players from the third year up that they will face severe scrutiny. And I think there's enough experience if you keep Jack Darling, if you keep J- Jeremy McGovern, if you keep Jamie Cripps, 
Um, and obviously they haven't retired Nick Natanui yet. If you if you keep players like that around, I think there'll be enough experience there to guide the youngsters through. So, um, yeah, I, I think eight to ten will be the number. Uh, Noddy's text through. Morning, Duff. Uh, Hutchie has once again spoken about the Eagles' cash reserves. I'm presuming this was on Footy Classified last night on uh, here in Melbourne. Uh, yet they have a reluctance to spend that cash to get a competitive advantage. Why do you think the Eagles have been so reluctant to pay the soft cap tax when they have the cash reserves? Noddy, and thanks for your questions, Noddy. Always appreciate your questions. You're clearly a person who thinks very deeply about the game and always good, sensible questions from you. Um, I just get the feeling that West Coast deep down thinks that Adam Simpson is the right coach. And I think they think that Trevor Nisbet is the right CEO. And so they don't want to pay the money that they could pay and release Adam Simpson from his contract because um, they think he's the right coach going forward. And, and I think they haven't yet convinced themselves that he's not. I think the question they have to ask themselves, and I'm not saying he is or he isn't, but there's one question that West Coast have to ask themselves where Adam Simpson is concerned. And you have to divorce yourself from the notion that he's a premiership coach and you have to also divorce yourself from the notion, if you're an Adam Simpson knocker, you have to divorce yourself from the notion, well, they've had these two disastrous years, so therefore they have to change the coach. One question and one question only. Answer this one and be confident of the answer, and then you'll come to the right decision, and that is, is Adam Simpson the best possible development coach for the West Coast players going forward? That's the only question that is relevant. Not whether he's coached a premiership, not is he to blame for what's happened over the last two years. Is he the best possible development coach for West Coast young players going forward? Because that is the phase they are in. They're in a rebuild phase. They're in a development phase. They need to get the most out of a group of young players. If the answer is yes, then they should screw their guts up and take the bumps that come with keeping Adam Simpson in there and take the criticism. If they don't think that he is, then they should pay the money and get him out. They have 57 million dollars in shares they have 109 million dollars in net assets they can do it take the lumps and bumps otherwise you'll be paying incremental costs for the next four or five years if you don't get it right to us we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks is there a tipping point that adam simpson wouldn't survive the year now that we are so close to the end is there a situation where west coast could have another disastrous loss and they would tip him out or is it at the point now where there's no point even if they were to get flogged by 150 points by someone to tip him out with just five games remaining? It's a good question. I mean, we've seen coaches sacked uh, a week before the end of the season. We've seen coaches sacked three weeks before the end of the season. So it does happen. Whether West Coast is a club that does that, I'm not sure. I suspect if they moved on Adam Simpson, they would move on him at the end of the season. I don't see any indication from them yet, Julian, that they are. Having said that, a loss like the Sydney loss caused a bit of hemorrhaging at the club. If there was to be another away loss like that between now and the end of the season, then you get to a point where maybe all bets are off. Well, I've got another one as well. Uh, no name on this one. Morning, Duff. Should West Coast be chasing Stewie Dew to head up what I expect will be a new development team and program next year? It's a really good question. And I will be very surprised if Stuart Dew isn't involved in coaching somewhere. We saw him bob up with the Australian cricket team in England. Um, that didn't go so well <laughs> in the fourth test. Well, they there. did retain the Ashes. So, well, unless he bought the rain, he didn't really play much <laughs> of a role in uh, in that one. I don't think. But I look, 
Stuart Jew has a very sharp footy brain. He did good time at um, at Sydney. He, he obviously he came through at Port Adelaide as a player. He played at Hawthorne. So he's been involved in really strong footy systems. I would think that Stuart Jew, there's a spot for Stuart Jew somewhere, I would think, in, in footy um, should he want to, want to continue. So uh, fingers crossed, I hope that he does continue somewhere. Is he the right person for the mix at West Coast? I reckon West Coast needs another strong voice. I reckon, on their coaching panel. And I think Adam Simpson needs to be prepared to be challenged by an assistant coach. And I think they need a strong assistant coach who will have the sort of voice that will challenge Adam Simpson. It it can't just be one voice and this is the way we're going to do it. I think they need um, a variety of voices steering the ship. Any voices come to – any names come straight to mind? Um, You usually work out who they are in the finals at the MCG because all the prospective coaches start turning up and sucking up to the media. That's how you know who the ones who want to be coaches are. All right, we'll be back to close up the show after the break. We're coming to you live from the Toolkit Depot studio. Don't forget to shop winter at TKD. And we are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Utes. Live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. Live your own way in the seven-seat Isuzu MUX. Visit your local Isuzu Ute dealer today. Mornings with Mark Duffield. Live your own way in the seven-seat Isuzu MUX. Visit your local Isuzu Ute dealer today. Mornings with Mark Duffield. Back to the Toolkit Depot studio. Don't forget you can shop winter at TKD. Uh, just a quick um, note for people. If anyone has been trying to get through on the temperate bedshed text line after 8.30 this morning, uh, our text line went down. So apologies if we haven't gotten to your text. If you sent one, uh, text us again tomorrow and we'll try and get to you then. Of course, we are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Utes. You can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. Julian, big show today. I, I loved uh, Peter Bell and the way he um, answered the questions we put to him, particularly a couple of tough ones. The honesty is, I think, appreciated by everybody, especially Freo fans, and what's been a disappointing campaign, no matter how you dress it up. And I've found that when we've had uh, Gavin Bell on the program as well, that he's been very forthright too. So I think with WA footy, both clubs know the predicaments that they're in and they're not shying away from that, uh, at least on the surface. I mean, you could make the uh, argument for some at West Coast that aren't quite seeing the forest through the trees, but I thought Peter Belvert spoke very well. Yeah, he did, um, and I think he answered the questions well. I mean, he obviously always speaks very well. Belly, he's done a law degree, so he's a very intelligent <laughs> man. He knows he knows how to have a debate and knows how to have an argument. It's going to be interesting to see how things unfold at West Coast. I reckon it's going to be interesting to see how the game goes against North Melbourne this weekend. Because on form, at home, West Coast, I suspect, goes into that game almost as a favourite. You've got last playing second last in an equalised system where the loser gets may get the number one draft pick. It's always fascinating this time of year in the AFL. Thanks for your help, Julian, today. Thanks for everyone who's listened. We'll be back again tomorrow with another edition of Mornings with Mark Duffield on SEN.